Hello. Hey, Drew. It's AJ. How you doing, buddy? Good, AJ. How are you? Uh, well, I've seen better hockey. Yes, you have. You're <laughs> watching pretty much any other team, but... Yeah. yeah. It's early, but it's going to be too late pretty soon. So. That's, you know, you make a great point because it was brought up yeah. that since 05, 06, and wasn't that the year that, that the Sharks got Jumbo? Yep. Yeah, so... Yep. Only nine teams have qualified for the playoffs after being four or more points out of American a Thanksgiving. I'm sorry? Yeah, American Thanksgiving. Yeah. American Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yep, 70, I think it's 70-some percent. Now, of course, you know, St. Louis blew that out of the water last year, you know, because they were last place in January. So, well, you know, the, uh, there mean, is hope. Yeah, there's hope, but Sharks are currently six points out, and you know how many games need to be played before it's okay to hit the panic button. Who knows? So, aside from impressive special team stats, all the numbers are down. Whether it's shots on goal, high danger chances, five on five, blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah. Eric yeah. Carlson and Burns and Vlasic are combined minus thirty-one. Looks like some guys are trying yeah, to do that. do too much. Maybe none of them are all working on the same playbook. Uh, October is officially the worst month they've ever had with DeBoer. So I think I speak for most fans when I ask you, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> Where do you focus to get this team back on track? The longer I'm in the league, the longer I am, the more hockey I watch, I'm convinced that you have to do two things well. Two things have to be your tenants of your foundation. Number one, you've got to manage the puck. You have to be able to make sure that you make the right play with the puck more times than not. It doesn't mean you're always going to put it on somebody else's tape. It doesn't mean you're always going to be making 20, 30, 40-foot passes or even the five-foot passes. It just means keeping the puck out of the opposition's hand and not feeding them their transition game or not feeding them opportunities, not making the game easy on them by giving them the puck in the worst possible places. And the second thing is you've got to have a real commitment to defensive hockey, to playing, to be playing good defense. And when I say good defense, it doesn't mean you're always in your zone, gotten down the hatches, protecting the middle and making sure there's no second or third chances or anything like that. Good defense is all over the ice. It's, it's making sure off the face-off that you, you're getting the jump and you're getting position and you're getting underneath the stick of the opposition player, not over top, underneath. It means that in the, in the offensive zone, you're on the forecheck and you're tenacious on the forecheck and you keep re-engaging on the forecheck and you keep the play down 200 feet from your net and you, um, you make sure that you're recovering. If you get beat in the, off, in the offensive zone, you recover back to the middle and you recover on the defensive side. It means always having your nose over the puck. It means always being in, having inside position. Now, it's not always going to happen. But you have to have a real commitment to wanting to play that way, to being on the defensive side. Now, those two things that I've described, has that been San Jose Shark hockey in October? No. No. Right? Not at all. It, not at all. And the, one of the biggest things is when you watch the Sharks, and even though their overall numbers of giveaways, and I'm, I'm not big on the giveaway stat that is official, uh, when you watch the game and you watch the number of the turnovers that, the Sharks have in the worst possible areas, in areas that create offensive chances for the other team or grade A chances or absolute goals, the turnovers and the giveaways 
are killing them, absolutely killing them. And by the guys you mentioned, you mentioned uh, Brent, and you mentioned Mark Edward, and you mentioned Eric Carlson. Those guys now plus minus. You can look at plus minus and go, okay, plus minus is is a stat that well, if if a guy's minus, like Jason, remember Jason Moore way back in the the days of our first, you know, first teams. Jason Moore was like minus four. Yeah, yeah. Jason Jay Moore was like minus forty, but he was playing on that team, you know. So it wasn't he was like a minus forty D man all the time. But when you're looking at really capable guys who play terrific hockey offensively and are very, very skilled and very, very talented, they shouldn't be a collective minus 31 when you're your three highest paid defensemen. Mm-hmm. So their their game is is um, is not even close to being where it needs to be to be um, a team that is threatening for the playoff spot. Again, it's October, but you better hurry up before it's too late. Well, and it's funny, you know, obviously you, you focus at the defense and there's a lot of fans, at least in San Jose, going back and forth about Eric Carlson. You know, some saying he's the best in the game. He'll make a, new, a huge impact as soon as he finds his groove. And other fans are having buyer's remorse saying he's a turnover machine that's weak in the corners. And I'm not saying that Carlson isn't a great player, but is it a case of maybe he's just not a great fit in San Jose? I mean, how are you seeing this? No, I think he's. I think he can fit. He's talented enough that he can fit anywhere. He's talented enough and, and smart enough and good enough that no matter what team you put him on, he's going to fit. I did have an NHL general manager say to me though, when we were talking about the Sharks, that you can have a guy like Eric Carlson on your team, and he is he is a high risk guy. He says, but I don't know if you can have two on your team referring to Brent Burns. Mm-hmm. So can you have Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, two high-risk guys offensively on your team, and still be a successful team? I think you can. They're a tad chaotic at times, and at times when with Brent anyway, the less information you give him, the less coaching you give him, the better he is. Because he wears a lot of, of the coaching. Sometimes it just gets too much for him. If he's he's a free flowing guy, and that's just the way he is. So you take the good with the bad, and because the good far outweighs the bad. And Eric Carlson, sorry, Halloween kids coming in my door, and my dog, my dog's barking. Um, <laughs> with with George's George's not happy with all these people coming to the door. But with um, Eric Carlson, I think he's a he's a more um, he's not as free flowing as as Brent. But I don't think he's as tenacious as Brent either. So when when I look at when I look at the both of them on the playing together, there are times when they they get in each other's way when they do when they have to be on the ice at the same time. So when you when you look at them, you think to yourself, okay, what can I do? But at the same time, the good usually far outweighs the bad. Like for the one thing I'm going to say about Eric Carlson, Eric was always an offensive guy. He was never a great defensive defenseman. The one year he won the Norse, he was. But he was never a guy that you looked at and went, he's, say, Mark Giordano. He is, he is, um, he's Drew Doughty. He's, that plays that hard, tenacious, tough defense. And before, pump your brakes on Drew Doughty, I know what people are thinking right now, he was a minus 34 last year. Yeah, he was playing on a bad team. So, again, it goes back to plus minus is, is a stat that sometimes you can use and sometimes you can't. But with, with Eric, he was always, and, and, and most defensemen that are big, 
big money defenseman, big point guy defenseman, that's what they get paid for is points. So you understand the guy going, well, I got to get points because that's why they're paying me. And that's why I'm, that's why I have to concentrate and focus on it. But it's really hard for a coach to kind of turn that a little bit on his, um, on its ear and go, yeah, I need you to get points without a doubt. I need you to play great defense though, too. I need you to be just as interested defensively in the game as you are offensively in the game. You can't cheat offensively. Um, you can't cheat defensively so you can get offense. You know what I mean? You can't try to take off out of your zone. You can't try to make that pass. You can't, you know, ignore guys coming in into the zone. You can't have your, your, your eyes focused on the puck area and have guys slip behind you in Ottawa for an easy tap in. You've got to get your head in the game. Now, again, just had a baby. You know, he went through with his with his first child. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunate. Um, so that's probably playing on him a little bit. So he's probably got some, you know, some some dad nerves out there, which is fine. I think he's good enough to get out of it. If you're having buyer's remorse at an um, eight year deal in the first month, you need just to relax a little bit. Yeah, I do think that he's talented. I think he, I think he is talented, and that team is talented enough to get moving in the right direction. But AJ, man, they've got to change the way they're playing. They've got to be committed and, and not interested, not, you know, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll be today. We'll be in the mix and we'll make sure we're a little bit tougher, we're a little bit more tenacious. You've got to be committed. There's a difference between being interested and a difference between being committed. To me, when you watch the good teams, it's a commitment to being on the right side of the puck in the right places all the time yeah well another thing that kind of plays into that we talked about it last season unfortunately it continues but jones and dell are ranked in i think the mid 40s on the goalies list and if there were 100 teams in the nhl that might not be so bad but sharks are 30th in scoring chances allowed last in high danger chances allowed so obviously team defense does factor in but the bottom line is neither goalie is stealing games for this team and hasn't for a while um what would you want to see changed? What does Hedberg need to do? Well, um, Dustin Schwartz is the goaltender coach with the Edmonton Oilers, And uh, I talked to Dustin a lot. He's a really, really smart guy. And goaltending is a lot of times, goaltending, coaching goaltenders a lot of times, it's just about refining the details. Goaltenders, there's no other player in the national or players in forwards or defensemen in the national hockey league that work on their game, work at perfecting the game like goaltenders do. They're out early, they stay out late, they face thousands of shots per per month. It it is a it's a hard road for goalies, and goaltender coaches are coaches. They're sometimes big brothers, most of the time psychologists, and a lot of time just a friend. Because sometimes you've just got to let the goaltender go. Let him vent. Let him do what he has to do. Get off his chest. You've been talking to goals. You know, you talk about high danger chances. Um, when you look at the chances they've, they've given up, there's been, a, there's been a few of them where I watch it and I go, Oof, Uncle Lee, are you chopping out? Because of just, just the situation, situational turnover or something like that. When the goals that bother me as bother me when I was coaching and bother me as a, as a uh, broadcaster are goals that go through guys. So when the goals are going through the goalie, you know, and, and it, you know, go through the, go, go five hole or 
go through the seven hole, you know, just above the just above the pad and below the arm and in that between the chest and the and the bicep, it's going to go through. And we've seen a couple of those in, in last game. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that are disheartening. Those are the ones that you look at that sink a team's morale and sink a goalie's confidence. So, Yohan's a smart guy. Yohan's a good, good, smart coach, and he's getting better and better every year. You know, he hasn't been at it very long, but he isn't. He is an ex goalie with with a good brain, and he will be working on the details. Just getting back to sometimes it's movement. Sometimes it's just a matter of turning and getting your shoulders square to the shooter. And sometimes it's a little thing like you golf, AJ. I'm sorry. Do you golf? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I, I used to be. I used to work at a golf course. I, I used to be. I was. That was what I was going to do for a living. I was going to be a golf pro. You know, and and um, when you were you golf and you'd be out on the on the uh, course and you striking the ball fine, but it's not going where you want it to. Mm. And you go back to the driving range and you, you talk to your pro at the time, or if you looked at back in the day, you know, you look at a buddy of mine was, we worked together my best friend and, and he would look at my swing and go, okay, you're doing this or you're doing that. And it's just, sometimes it's a matter of just turning your shoulder back. Sometimes it's a matter of just that your hips are coming through too quick. It's all these little details. And it's a lot like goaltending. You're just trying to refine your position. So it's small little things that can lead to big mistakes. If you're, if you're overextending on a save instead of just pushing, squaring up and bang, facing the shooter. Sometimes it's, you're, you're not following the puck. I used to ask, I asked Wayne Thomas, former Sharks assistant general manager, assistant coach, just served the Sharks so well, such a good man that he would coach. And I said to, I said to Wayne one day, we were talking about you getting the block off. I said, when do you know that Maddie, I said, what do you watch for when Maddie is playing? And when he's playing well and playing bad, what do you look for? He goes, his head. I said, you look at his head? He goes, yeah, his eyes. Is he following the puck? Is he finding the puck? Is he reading through the rush? Is he being able to find, anticipate and read where the puck's going next? Is he there before the guy is even getting the puck? He said, so a lot of it has to do with vision. A lot of it has to do with being in the game and concentrating and, and being detailed. So you fix, you fix that part first. And that, these guys go through a ton of video. They go through video all the time and they'll be looking at the games they'll be looking at the goals and then you go out in the ice and you work on those things before practice and in, during practice it's hard to work on them because during practice the coaches and this has been on been happening since time began coaches don't make drills thinking about the goalie <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't have i was uh, we were in minnesota we always were in minnesota um about a week ago and two former Sharks, Alex Daylock, who I absolutely adore, and Dean Edison, an original San Jose Shark, who is one of my favorite people in the world. Dean's assistant coach now with uh, Minnesota. Um, and Dean's doing a drill at the end of practice with forwards, and Alex is, is, is not playing that day, so he's the, guy, the goalie he's got to deal with it. And I can hear Alex, and Alex is such a great guy. And you, and, and you remember Alex. Alex is, he's, he's a chirper, man. And he's yelling at Dean Ellison about this drill. And it's a horrible drill for goalies. It's a terrible drill for goalies. He basically ends up being twice a two on a in front of him <laughs> and going from one side. And I can hear Alex yelling at Dean Ellison. And I talked to Alex after. He goes, yeah, I always like to give him crap. But yeah, I know you do. But because we don't design, we, we don't design drills in practice for the goalies. We design them for the other guys. So that's why you got to get up beforehand and work with your goalie coach. And I know that, that uh, Johan's doing that. I know he's working with him. But it's, it's a matter, I think, of physically refining your details 
and and clearing clearing the head. The one thing that goalies, some goalies get in, and I don't know Marty or Aaron at all, um, but I can tell you from past experience regarding goaltenders, when things start to go south, they feel, they wear it more than anybody. And sometimes they just need somebody to vent to, and sometimes they just need somebody just to listen to them. You don't try to fix it, just listen to them, let them clear their head, and then they'll breathe and they'll go back to work. Yeah. But they overall... It's a long, a long way of saying they're working on it. I know they are. That's what every, every goal is. But they've got to stop the goals from going through them. Those are the ones that, that, that kill you as a team. Well, it, it just reminded me of that playoff series against Vegas last season where Sharks, particularly Jones, did not look good through four games and then just went on the bus, disregarded the media, wasn't talking to anybody, and then put together a string of like the next ten games where he was playing gangbusters. Yep. So, yeah, it, and that's see, that's that's where if you're a shark fan, you take solace because you know he can do it and has done it in the highest pressure situations. So you don't worry about him. you know he'll he he will work on fixing his game both physically and mentally. You know that he's going to be. Um, working his tail off to do it. What would bother me if it didn't bug him? What would bother me if he would be like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I got my guy. What are you guys doing? He's not like that. That, that thing, the stuff I've read about him and talking to the Sharks, assistant coaches, talking to people around the Sharks, that's not Martin Jones. Um, the, he is, he cares. And that's what you want from your athletes. And that's what you want him to do is be able to care and then put that into motion into fixing the problems. But well, you know what? What I like about what I like about a lot of goalies now and goalie coaches now it's it's fix the problem, not the blame. You know? That's that's the issue. Well, back in the day when Nabby would have a string of bad games, I mean, are you familiar with how Stralo d- dealt with him at all? Oh yeah. But Warren was a Warren was a special kind of coach. You know, Warren and, and Nabby was a, it was a special type of goalie. I will say right now, in my estimation, there wasn't a smarter hockey player on the ice than you've gained the box off. You've gained the box off, reads the game, and read the game really well. And you've gained the box off, could break down his own goaltending performance better than anybody I ever met. Juan Stralo was a father figure for Natty. But Natty, because Natty would get on the bus, and Natty then would talk to his dad after the game, and you could hear, you know, that conversation. And Dad was not exactly, you know, it's okay, pal. You're still my number one guy. You know, <laughs> Dad was on us, you know. Um, Maddie was a, was a goaltender that was very, very a high hockey IQ, really high hockey IQ. Um, so he was really good at breaking down his own game. Warren and Maddie worked on basics. Man, they worked on basics. They worked on movement. They worked on um being able to move, but not over-move. Navi would sometimes get in trouble with a little bit of over-moving. Um, but Navi, as far as positioning goes, was as sound as they came. And that's what they worked on a lot. But one thing Navi, Navi, he'll, he'll even tell you, um, in his, his one fault was when he dropped down the butterfly, he'd go, I think he'd go right-left. So a lot of guys drop down the butterfly, you're going to drop down to boom, Right. He kind of would go right, left, or left, right, and, and one pad would be up. So we remember the game, the series against Chicago. Um, how many five hole goals went in? Yeah, and that was because of that one, that one little left, right drop that he would do. And but he worked on it. It was just, it, just one, it was just a glitch in his 
in his system. But overall, um, they worked a lot on basics. And Warren was a very gentle um, but honest guy. Um, like I said, really like a father figure. Every and, and Warren had such a great reputation. But Navi was a very willing student, very willing. Um, you're gonna, it's going to be hard for you. Know, you never, you're not going to hear me say very many negative things about Yevgeny Bakov. Well, he was uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite guys in the world, uh, one of my favorite goaltenders. And um, you know, if just for a save here or there, and, and some goals in the right situation, he would. Uh, he, he they might be having already a championship ring in, in, in that organization because Navi was was special to me. Um, the only thing I didn't like about Navi was, uh, was you know, he constantly called me Baldy. <laughs> Baldy. Hey, Baldy, what'd you say? Baldy, what'd you say today? Baldy, what'd you say? So I, said, yeah, I, said, I said, I talked about you because how bad you are. Baldy, come on, man. You don't, you don't know. And then he was such a, uh, what do I say to people? Such a funny guy. Great guy. Great energy. Great juice for a goalie. Baldy. <laughs> Well, for, we uh, we spoke with Nick Nolenberger, who was the broadcaster for the San Jose Barracuda yesterday, and he said, you know, you catch Navi at practice, he uh, he thinks he's a forward now. He won't throw on the gloves. He's firing pucks at Cornish. He's, you know, <laughs> won't even come close to putting the pads on. He's all forward. Couldn't now. play the damn puck when he was a goalie. Now he's all of a sudden he's playing the puck. Yeah, right? He's each other kid. I think he's playing in Vancouver. He's going to score again, right? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. You know that story, right? Okay, that's the one. I, you know, I love Randy Hahn to death. Okay, Randy Hahn is the best, one of the best in the business. Absolutely. Okay, so that game in Vancouver. Um, if you listen to that call, it's a historic call. First European goaltender to score on the power play. Right, he's got it's a lot of firsts. One of them was that he scored on the power play. There's a power play for the, for the Sharks. Um, anyway, so as Navi goes out to play it, I think my commentary is, and I jump Randy on the commentary. Um, I said, he's going, I, I say something like, he's going for it. And Randy says, he shoots it. And I jump on it before he even, I said, he's got it. He's got it. And Randy, to this day, every time that replay gets, gets played, well, not anymore. But when I was with him, when we played that replay, he would just turn and look me, look at me with this <laughs> sad look of disappointment, <laughs> because that's a that's a that's a goal that, and any award winning broadcaster like Randy Hahn will frame, and it'll be in the Sharks' vaults for time immemorial. There will never be another moment like that for the San Jose Sharks and your loudmouth color commentator <laughs> partner jumps all over your call going, he's got it. He's got it. <laughs> Randy still is, Randy's very rarely ever gotten mad at me ever in all the years. We've been together. He's always just been so great, but there's that, there's that when that gets played, whatever got played, he and I were together. He would just turn and look at me with such sad disappointment in his eyes at what I screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was, there was actually a really good one that, uh, Jamie Baker had on the broadcast with Randy last season towards the end of the season. I'm not sure what Baker was focused on or whatever, but he's, I think they were kind of previewing the schedule a little bit. And Baker said, yeah. And uh, the thing that I think will benefit the sharks is a lot of those home games coming up will be played at home. 
No, he didn't. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We we all we all kind of went like, wait, did he? Did wait a minute? Let me rewind. Thank that. you, Captain. Thank you, Captain. Obvious. That's a that's a great that's a great one. Thank you. Yeah. I was listening to a broadcast. I was listening to a broadcast the other day, and it was a. Uh, he can't remember who was playing, but it was a three-one uh, game. And the color commentator goes, and I'm like, I figured the color commentator was. The color commentator goes, well, the so-and-so team, they really want the next one because they don't want to go down by three again. Oh, okay, thanks. Thanks very much. That's great <laughs> insight right there. Good, good work, Jack. Let it go, man. That'll be, be on top of the game, man. Well, That's why I can't be a national broadcaster because you come up with insight like that. <laughs> and we say, we say dumbass things all the time, man. It, it is sometimes, you know what it is with broadcasters? It's, we, we feel like we have to fill time. Of course. Let's, we, we're so afraid of dead air. We're so afraid of letting the game breathe. I, I got to work with Bob Cole, the great Bob Cole from Hockey Night in Canada, and the man is a legend. I, I don't know, have I told you this story about shutting the hell up? No, no, go ahead. Okay, so so my one year at Hockey Night in Canada, so I leave the Sharks to go to Hockey Night in Canada. Um, and... Bob Cole's, Bob Cole's a legend. Bob Cole's called all the big games. Bob Cole called the Philadelphia Flyers. He's, they're going home game, you know. Uh, he, he's the best thrift. Olymp- Olympics, he, he's the best. Bob's fantastic. Broadcasting for 50 years, professional national hockey league. Um, and I get to work with Bob in Vancouver. And I'm really nervous going into this. And Bob says, Drew, is my Bob Cole indication, by the way. Drew, I know you have heard a lot about me. And... Uh, you know, there's certain things I like. Uh, let me just give you one piece of advice, young man. Don't be afraid to shut the hell up. <laughs> uh, excuse me, Bob. He goes, you color commentators, you think as soon as we stop talking, play by play, guys, you think as soon as we stop talking, you've got to jump in. You don't. If you don't have anything smart to say, you don't have anything insightful to say, don't just jam in there with something. Just let the game breathe. Let the game breathe. Okay. And by the way, I got face-offs. I went, okay, Bob, you got it. But that game, Bob tells me that. And in the third period, the the, the producer talks to me, says to me, he said, well, we just wanted to talk, hits the top back, goes, Drew. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, we're just wondering if you're still there because we haven't heard much from you today. And I started <laughs> laughing. He goes, he goes, thank goodness you don't get paid by the word. And I said, what's Bob Cole? What do you want me to do? It's Bob Cole. But that's, that's, that's the best lesson I ever got broadcasting. Oh. Don't be afraid to shut the hell up Absolutely. and let the game breathe. Well, <laughs> and I'm such a smart ass. When I heard Baker's faux pas on that, of course I took yeah. it, recorded it, posted it on, on Twitter and tagged him, you know, tagged him with it's it. Awesome. And, and he was, he was like, you know, I feel like I've been on the air <laughs> for 25 hours right now. You know, like he totally owned it and it yep. was fantastic. He took it great. And then about maybe five or six minutes later, they were talking about, uh, some upcoming game that was going to be played at home and Randy without missing a beat going, yeah, and that home game will definitely be played at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hunter doesn't let you slide on much. Yeah. He'll throw that in. He's one of the quickest guys ever on his feet. And uh, if you're not paying attention, you will, uh, you will pay dearly for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's get back into the sharks uh, and move All on, right. move on to the forwards. You know, the Sharks had a plus 31 goal differential last season, but they lost 38 goals from Pavelski, another 20 from Donskoy and Nyquist. Do you think that maybe 
Doug Wilson and the staff, did they maybe overrate or think too highly of the prospects that they had coming in? Because Donskoy, Pavelski, and Nyquist, that's a second line on most of the teams in the league. Absolutely. Um, no, I, Doug and his staff have made really good decisions on, on their prospects because they've been able to watch them closely. When, that, when they first moved this, the Barracuda to San Jose, I thought, you guys are nuts. You're putting two teams in that building? You're going against your own product? What are you doing? But mm-hmm. it does. What it does, it gives them a close-up view every day of what's going on with that team and how those prospects are coming along instead of once or twice, maybe three times a month. So it's worked out very well for that line. And you can't knock the guys that they brought up. What they did is they bet heavy on the defensemen. They bet heavy on Brent Burns. They bet heavy on, on, um, on Eric Carlson. They they spend they spend I think more on any on defensemen than anybody else in the league if, I'm, if I remember correctly. That they wouldn't spend, surprise what, me. It's like thirty one yeah, million. Yeah, they spend it. Yeah, thirty. I thought it was like thirty one, thirty four million. Well, I think um, if you factor so, Brendan Dillon into the equation. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, I was wrong on that guy, man. I was wrong on that guy. I used to think Brendan Dillon was a slug when he was in Dallas, and I thought when they made the trade with JD with Jason Demers, um, I thought, oh, what are you doing, Doug? But that, that Brendan Dillon can play. Oh, yeah. He makes people. Uh, you don't see many guys nowadays that uh, forwards are co- afraid to come down his side because the game's not played that way anymore. But Brendan Dillon still kind of is a little bit of a throwback. So I was wrong on that guy. He's, he's impressive. Um, I think they bet heavy on the defense. And they thought, they, they knew, like, this, Doug's, Doug's no dummy. Doug's been around forever. He, he, you knew you were going to miss Podolsky. You, you cannot not miss Joe Podolsky. But they went for Eric Carlson instead. That was that was the decision they made. And you, you know the, the thought is you go from the DO, and, and that was the that was the trade off. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you miss Joe Podolsky's play on the ice. You miss his championship habits. You miss his presence in the locker room. You miss his character. You miss his professionalism. You're not going to replace it. But they knew that. They're, they're not dumb. Um, Don Scoy and Nyquist. I, I get it on, on Nyquist. Don Scoy, I always liked. Always liked. Him. I used to talk to, I, I, when I, I would talk to Randy about him all the time. I just, he was just an impressive guy to me. And, and the way he played. So, yeah, I think they miss them. Obviously, you miss those guys, as you said. They'd be at number two line. Some teams, AJ, they'd be on the one line. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, you miss those guys. And you miss, the, you know, and right now, the, the, the scoring is being done by Evander. And who else? Exactly. I mean, LeBanc scored yeah. in the last three. Uh, you kind of, it's, yeah. well, how is Couture, Meyer, and Hurdle so far off the score sheet lately? Listen, Tomash, um, Logan is, I got, I got a soft spot for Logan. Um, and cause he is such a good player, such a smart player. And he'll, it'll come, it'll kick in for him. It's going to happen for him. Um, he's still going to be that guy. Um, I have not liked I've, Tomash's game at all. It, 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 he was so good last year. Right out of the gate, he was good last year. And he was an important player last year for him. He is not, He's just not there right now. Or, or am I wrong? I mean, I've, I've watched all but 
uh, one, two, three games of theirs. And every game I watched, I'm thinking, what is going on with this kid? This kid's, a, this kid's an, an alternate captain now. This kid's a hell of a player. He's got all the talent in the world. But I, basically, he's like minus 11 right now, too. Um, I just haven't liked his game at all. Am I wrong on that one? No. I mean, kid, I, I have loved him since day one. Uh, I mean, oh, God, just, uh, you know, there for the four goals against New York. I mean, uh, it's just. Yeah. And he was an absolute beast last year. You could even go back, I would say, to that series against Edmonton after the Stanley Cup run. Hurdle, yeah. uh, I thought, was one of the best players in that yeah. playoff series. So, I, yeah, I don't oh, know. Good. I don't know. Well, it's, it's, you, you look at, you go through year after year, you know, very few guys have consistent year after year after year of, you know, 30 goals and 70 points or whatever it may be, a consistent play of, there are, there are ups and downs and peaks and valleys in every season with every team and every player. The key is, I believe in the National Hockey League, is you can't stay in the valley too long. You got to work your way out of the valley back to the peak, and that goes for teams and that goes for individuals. But it's also a matter of, and I'm a big, and sorry to people in the, in the Bay Area, but I'm a huge Bill Belichick fan uh, of the way he does business. Um, you watch the stuff on online about the New England Patriots and how they do business, and they. Bill Belichick, say what you want about the man, but the man wins. And the man's got basically two tenets, two tenets, which is do your job. Do your job and attention to detail. Those two things. And I think if you, as, a, as an athlete, you live by those, and the New England Patriots do. And that's why they win all the time. They do their job, and they pay attention to details. And right now, I don't know if you can say that about certain players with the Sharks. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, do your job and attention to detail. That That's not just sports, people. I'm just saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, really, it really isn't. You do those two things. And when you talk about attention to detail, I mean, he Belichick knows every official on the field and which calls they like to make. And he's got them on a chart. And he lets his guys know that there's so-and-so's uh, – line judge today and he is called X number of holding penalties in the last blah, blah, blah. And he, he, all that is there. And he lets his coaches do their jobs and he forces, they force the players to do the job. So do your job and attention to details and the details, every detail you can think of is important. Yeah. Only got a couple of things left for you. I hope it's not too long, but <laughs> after, no. after losing those first three games, the sharks went out and brought back Patrick Marlowe. So of course, yeah. We want to know what you thought about that move. I was happy. I texted Doug Wilson right away. I said, where you go? Good for you. Um, Patrick Marlowe was too good to not be playing. He had a bad year last year. He, was minus, he had 16 goals. That's, you know how many guys want to score 16 goals in the NHL? It's hard to score goals nowadays in the NHL. Um, we talked about the fact that you, what you missed about Joe Pavelski and what characteristics of traits he has. Patrick Marlowe shares those same traits. He is a total pro. He is always ready to go. He never gets too up and too down, but he still has that fire burning hot. Um, he is 
a San Jose shark and his presence means a lot. Just the mere presence of the guy in the room means a lot, but he can also still play because he can also get up and down the ice. And I was really happy to see it because Patty's a great man and uh, a great pro. And I think it was the right move. And uh, like I said, 16 goals on a bad year last year. He couldn't put, you know, he just couldn't find the net last year. He, he's, what is he doing? What, the only plus guy in the show right now? I think you um, <laughs> might. I think he, I think be, he is. Yeah. Yeah. I think he now, might he just play less games, but, but he is, it's, it's some of those things you lost with Joe Pavelski. You brought back with Patty Marlowe. Now without Marlowe in and without Pavelski there, you had a big vacuum. Patty does a nice job of being able to come in there and just stop gap that the feelings of where's our leadership? You know, how is it? Where, what are, what are we, who is our leader? Now Logan's a leader. I know. Um, and he's a great leader, Jumbo in there, Brent Burns. You don't have to have an A or a C to be a leader. You've got to lead, though. You've got to, again, do your job and whatever that job may be and lead that way, and nobody does that better than Patty. Yeah, well, and you talk about leaders. I thought it was a little odd to see DeBoer hand out four A's this season instead of just the normal two, but... Yeah, yeah, I don't say that. Mm. You know, here's the, only thing. here's the thing about captaincy uh, in the NHL. It's, I think it's overrated, but it's underrated if your team sucks. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a good if your point. Team is, if your team is, is, if your team is lousy, they're looking for leadership everywhere. So you've got to have somebody strong there. But the problem is, if your team's lousy, pretty much everybody on your team is playing lousy, and then you don't have that big of a voice. Your voice doesn't resonate in a room. Unless you're like, say, the Edmonton Oilers the last couple of years. The Edmonton Oilers are were a bad team, and you know seventy eight or eighty points the last two, the last two years. But they had two great players, in my opinion, the best player in the league in Connor, and a guy who's real close second in, in Leon. Especially uh, Leon scored fifty last year, and he's on his, on pace for fifty this year. Two great players. So even though the team was bad, these guys together got two hundred and twenty one points. So their voices resonate because they're doing their job. But a lot of times on bad teams, there's you don't want to speak up and say anything because you know you know your game's not where it should be either. So that's on bad teams. On good teams, you've got a group of guys. On good teams, you've got a lot of guys who whose voices carry in the room. And with the Sharks, you got a lot of guys whose voices will carry in the room because of what they've done in the league so far. Mm-hmm. This year, not so much. And so sometimes guys are afraid to speak up and, and say anything because they know, oh, Jesus, I'm not playing very well. How, how, how the hell can I say anything? Why would these guys listen to me when I'm playing like garbage? And guys know when they're not playing well. Guys know when, they're, when they're, their game's at, at a, a level where it's got to get way better. So they don't want to speak up because they know if they're sitting in the, the opposite ch- chair and some guy who's playing crappy starts going, come on, guys, we got to do this, we got to do that. They're like, Shut up, man! What are you doing? <laughs> so, it's it's the the A's and C's. To me, it was to me, it's an easy choice. Logan's your captain. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time coming. But you know what? Again, uh, last time I checked, Peter DeBoer's coaching record was a lot better than mine. So I'll just let him go be the make the. Uh, make the decisions way above my pay grade. Well, hey, well, I mean, we're not calling this season at this point, you know, year two at the Cow Palace just yet, but what can you 
tell Sharks fans to ease their minds after a horrible October. Uh, you bring that up to you. <laughs> you think 11-71-2 is bad? Come on, what are you talking about? We had 11 wins that year. As long as we um, don't top it this year. Uh, <laughs> I think that, that um, listen, it's not the same team without a doubt. They're not as high-scoring, uh, high-flying, and not a, not a team that's going to outscore their mistakes. So they have to be a team that limits their mistakes. I know that there's, I, you know, I read a lot of the comments on, on online, even though I'm not a social media presence, um, that, you know, about Peter DeBoer and about Doug Wilson and uh, about this guy or that guy. I will tell you this. Um, Peter DeBoer is an outstanding coach because Peter DeBoer has, gets players to own their situation. It's not about with Peter DeBoer coaching behind the bench. It's not about Peter DeBoer. It's about the guys on the ice. And he, and he, he has a knack of being able to have those guys accept ownership of their play and of the results and of the season. And that's a really unique trait in the National Hockey League. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And I like the way he coaches. I like the way he coaches a veteran team. So um, with Doug Wilson, I, I don't think you have to say anything about Doug Wilson besides show me other general managers in the National Hockey League have had that much success in the NHL. Now, I had this discussion with some people in Edmonton because I was talking about Doug Wilson. Um, and they bring up what? The average never won a cup. So I said to him, I said, let me ask you a question. Would you rather have a team that won a cup or several cups decades ago and then hasn't made the playoffs for 13 in the last 14 years or would you rather have a team that's always in the hunt, always in the playoffs, always a team that's competitive and one of the teams you think, you know, if they get the right breaks, they can win the cup. A team that's always there at the postseason. You know what the answer was? Unanimously, you'd rather have a team that's always a contender and always in the postseason. And you look at Doug's numbers as a, as a general manager, you can't argue. You look at Doug's trades as a general manager, most of the time, most of the time, um, High marks for for the trade he's made, and, and I I just got I got to say two names: Dan Boyle, Joe Thornton. That's that's enough, you know, what those guys have done for that organization. And then so, Burns on top of it. Yeah, Brent Burns for Charlie Coyle on top of that one. And in, set yeah. yeah, you can even just go on and on and on. So he wins most of his trades, and he has, his teams win a lot of games. Managing and coaching aren't your issues. It's the way the team is playing. Now, that does come down to coaching and it does come down to personnel, but it also comes down to a veteran group accepting that they maybe have to change the way that they're playing this year as opposed to how they played in previous years because the team has changed, the makeup has changed, and they've gotten a little older. They're not as fleet of foot anymore. They've got some guys who can scoot, but some of their key guys aren't as fleet of foot anymore. But it's, again, go back to, go back to the two things. Go back to two things. Manage the puck and defend. 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 Think, be thinking. And you don't, just don't play defense in your own zone. You play defense in the offensive zone by keeping the puck on the forecheck, keeping the puck 200 feet from it. So for me, for Shark fans, it is, okay, October sucked. It was awful and didn't play very well. So, again, it's not too, it's, it's early, but you better hurry up before it's too late. This and here's here's my color commentator. Thank you, Captain August. To me, this next 
10 days in November, the first 10 days in November, the, the first five games in November, they have got to be on their game. You've got to be, you've got to be seeing some real growth in the way they're playing, some real progress in the way they're playing, or else then I, by, the, by, the, by the time they play the Oilers, on the, when do they play the Oilers? Like the 11th or 12th? Uh, no, I'm sorry. The, uh, oh, the 12th? I think 11th, 12th. 12th yeah. and then the 19th. Yeah. If by the time they play the Oilers on the 12th, if they don't have their game closer to fixed than not, because it's never, you know, you're coaching that's never fixed, then you can start to worry. Okay. I'm marking that down. Uh, All right, then. <laughs> um, and one, just to go back to something you had said, it, it, only because it reminded me of some back and forth that we had, was because San Jose and the Dallas Stars kind of, uh, you know, for those who aren't aware, there, there's a little bit of tie between those two teams, and they both started around the same time. But that's who we typically compare them to, where it's the team that they won the cup in 99. I still say his foot was in the crease, but I digress. But no, it was, but it was, but thank God that they did it because it was the dumbest rule on the planet. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, but uh, they won the cup in '99, and then since then, last two decades, Dallas, yeah, they've sniffed the playoffs a few times, but no one, they were never a favorite. There were never really anybody that looked at. Well, hell, I mean, at one point we were talking about what thirteen million dollars spent on goaltending between Lettinen yeah. and Niemi. I mean, there was, you know, there's been yeah. some rough sledding in Dallas, but that's who we've kind of pointed at, would you rather be them or would you rather be the Sharks that are just continually going? One year it's the first round, sometimes it's the second, sometimes it's the, you know, the final, and then some once it was the Stanley Cup final, what would you rather? And it's funny that you get about half and half of the responses. Is the one side that goes, you know, no, I like hope every year, and there's the other, high, other side that just goes, I just want the championship once, and then they can suck for 40 years. I don't care. I just want it once. No. That's a, that's a, those people are saying that lie. I'll tell you that right now. Um, I can tell you, you know, and I don't work for the owners. I work for sports now. I work for a network, you know, so I don't have that connection like I used to have with the Sharks. I can tell you right now, being in Edmonton, as I said, I work for I work for Rogers. I don't work for the owners, but I can tell you, those fans are as passionate and dedicated to that team as you can imagine. They have there are still the Gretzky, Low, Messier, Curry, Coffee, Fear jerseys out there but they still follow this team. They are desperate for this team to just be a contender, to just be a playoff team. A, a successful season this year would be the Oilers to be a playoff team. They're watching Connor McDavid, the best player on the planet, be in the playoffs just one time. That's a crime against hockey humanity, that a guy like that has only been in the playoffs once. Those fans wear it, too. They love that team, and they are so heartbroken when the team gets an 80-point year, a 78-point year, like the last couple of years, after it looked like they had turned the corner with that uh, that season where they made the playoffs and went against the Sharks and then Anaheim. They, those fans want a contender. That's all they want. They want to have some little taste of success where most nights you're winning and other nights, you know, just the other team happened to get you. Going through 13 or 14 seasons, I think it is now, or 12 or 13, they're heartbroken, and they... These are, these are people who who work two and three jobs just to afford, you know, the oil industry isn't as good as it used to be because the way things are in Canada nowadays, they're working two, three jobs to afford to come to games. It's it's expensive, as you know, to go to hockey games. Oh, yeah. They just want it. They just want a team that's a contender, a team that, that is going to be there in the end. 
And yeah, they appreciate the cups that were that were won years ago. That was years ago. That was decades ago. They want this team now that they follow and they spend their good money on to be a winner. And they would do anything to just have them have the chance to be in the playoffs. So those people say, I just want to win it once, and then that's it. Um, they're lying to you. They, well, they're not lying to you. Yeah, they want them to win it. But at the same time, go through a few years like Edmonton has and then tell me you don't wish that your team was always a contender. Well, what I mean, you bring up the Oilers. They're off to a great start this season. What what have you seen? What's been the difference between, you know, McClellan and Hitchcock versus Tippett? You know what they started out the season last year? I can't eight, imagine. 8-4-1. Oh. Hmm. 8-4-1. Eight, eight, you know what they started out the season this year? 8-4-1. <laughs> so there's plenty of time. Now it's 9-4-1 because they won last night. Um, uh Dave hasn't done a lot. There's, there's only so many schemes and so many systems. But um, Doug Wilson said this a long time ago. Every time, there's every once in a while the class needs a new teacher or the class needs a new professor. Um, it happened with Ron Wilson. It happened with Todd and um, with the Sharks. It also happened with Todd in Edmonton. The one thing Ken Hitchcock found out last year was it wasn't coaching. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wasn't coaching. It was personnel. Now, the the difference this year, there's been a, a couple of differences. Now, but you, if you look at the Oilers right now, the same guys are doing the score. Last night, uh, they won the game. Jujar Kara was, was got a goal. He was the first player in the bottom six forwards to get a goal this year. The goals were being scored by Connor, Leon, and James Neal. The James Neal trade was great. For Milan Lucic went to Calgary. James Neal came to Edmonton. James Neal had scored, had 10, 20 goal seasons in a row in his in his uh, career. Then he goes to Calgary as a free agent and scores seven last year. Didn't get along with the coach. Well, at least he and the coach didn't see eye to eye. He didn't get on the right situations. He comes to Edmonton. He leads the league in power play goals, I think, right now. And um, another one last night, he has 11 goals already. So that helps. But they still don't have scoring depth. The goaltenders have been better. Nico Koskinen and Mike Smith um, have been battling, have been competing. There still is some holes in that team. There still is some areas they need to improve. But I don't think I have seen um, what Connor's playing a hell of a lot. Um, but when I, when I watch Connor and Leon, they're getting to that point in their careers where they are, they are prime. They are the best years of their career. And they do not... They're, they're, I saw them take over that Washington game a while back in in, in Edmonton. I, I don't think I've ever seen a hockey player just absolutely take over a game like Connor did. It was, we're not losing this game. Get on my back. Let's go. And Leon, when that happened, Leon goes, all right, let's go. I got your six. Here we go. And they were fantastic. So those two have been terrific. Um, but Dave Tippett is, uh, the way they play defense is a little different in the fact of it's it's real um, he, he goes to it all the time. Back in the zone in a certain way, they're a little bit more protective of the middle. Uh, they put more emphasis on protecting that the, that middle of the ice. Not, not terribly different from, from Todd, but more emphasis on it. Um, Dave is is a little bit more stringent uh, on defensive hockey. And puck, well, those, those two things I talked about. Puck management and, and attention to... to 
defense, making sure you play defense. And right now they're, they're buying into it, but they still, they're still, the jury's kind of still out on them. But I, I, there's a different feeling, AJ, this year with this team than there was the last couple. You, you can tell the energy in the room's different. There's, there's a little bit more of a belief system in each other or a belief in each other, I should say, a belief system, a belief in each other than the last couple of years. It's been pretty tumultuous the last couple of years in Edmonton with some of the, the personnel decisions and, that were made. And that's been settled down. Ken Holland brings a wealth of experience in winning. And there's more confidence with that team right now. And for the most part, they play like it. All right. Well, uh, finally, I mean, we I would hope uh, we'll, we'll talk again by uh, the end of next month yeah. and, and see where we're at at that point. But we talked about that game on the 12th versus Edmonton to take an eyeball as to where they're at at that point. But, and again, I ask this because this is what, like you said, is being talked about a lot on social media, is at what point does DeBoer's seat start to get a little warm? And, and the reason why I ask as well is because a lot of people have pointed out that Historically, Peter DeBoer has always had a great first year with whatever team he's with, yep. and then after that, meh. And so a lot of people yep, are wondering, true. you know, is it time that we start thinking about and, and plus, you know, Bugner is right there just in case this is the first time ever in Wilson's, you know, history that we would think about switching coaches mid-season. And of course, everybody is pointing at the anomaly that St. Louis was last year where, hey, they were awful. They switched coaches. They put in a rookie goaltender, and people are looking at the rookie at with the Barracuda right now who's, who's sitting on two shutouts in five games. So when does DeBoer's seat start to get a little yeah. warm? It's warm now. That's coaching in the NHL. It's warm now. Um, now, Doug is a very patient man when it comes to coaches, and, and he respects coaches as a, as a general manager. And Sometimes you don't get that from general managers. Um, so I imagine it's warm now. I wouldn't presume to, to put myself in, in Doug Wilson's head, but, um, there's some conversations going on now and Peter knows the heat's on him. I would say that if they go through November and, and they are not better than they were this month, then there's probably, it gets even hotter. You know, and again, just guessing. Yep. But if they go through this month, and and you know, the one thing that you that people don't understand is is Hasso Plattner. He's not a guy that suffers fools gladly. He's not a guy that sits back and and doesn't care. He may not be around all the time because of the other businesses, but he he keeps track of his team. And there'll be some phone calls going back and forth between the owner and the and the general manager. You know, um, Doug will Doug being Doug will back his his coach all the time, and he will be. We're talking to Hustle about it, but um, if the if the big guy in in Germany decides that he's seen enough, there's not much a general manager can do. It's when the it's, it's the story of Harry Neal, and Harry Neal was the general manager of the uh, Vancouver Canucks, and Roger Nielsen was the head coach, and Roger Nielsen was they were losing, 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 and Mr. Griffiths, who was owning the Vancouver Canucks at the time, wanted to fire um, Roger Nielsen. And Harry Neal was fighting for Roger. Harry being an ex-coach, he was fighting for Roger, fighting for Roger. And he, well, I think they're getting it. I think they're getting it. And, you know, he's coming. There's a lot of good things happening. So they lose a game, and Mr. Griffiths makes the phone call to Harry Neal and says, Harry, it's time. You've got to go. And he goes, no, Mr. Griffiths, they, they were playing well. They were doing a great job. And he's really starting to get to him. A lot of good stuff. He starts going on and on about the good things that Roger's doing. And Mr. Griffiths said, Harry, 
It'd be a shame for two people to lose their job over this. <laughs> the end. Yeah. Goodbye, Roger was Roger was gone. He was like, yes, sir. Hung up the phone, went to Roger's hotel room, knocked on the door. Roger, I got some bad news for you. We're making a change. <laughs> <laughs> well, say at the end of November, things are not looking much better. You get a phone call from Doug Wilson saying, hey, are you available <laughs> as an interim coach? What do you say? <laughs> Yeah, my record of uh, being on the coaching staff to lost 100 games quicker than anybody in the history of the league, that is exactly what you want. You want a 57-year-old guy coming in right now and saying, yeah, okay, this is what I think we should do, guys. Yeah, like, yeah, like that's what, that call is going to happen. That would, be, that would be a major mistake. That would be a big mistake. <laughs> Although, you know what? To, to be truthful, I'd come in and crush it. You know it. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> all you'd have to do is hey, look at my freaking tie, guys. You know I'm serious. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. I would, I would dazzle them with the wardrobe, and they'd, they'd look at me and go, well, hell, we got we to gotta listen to him. What time good he looks? This is all I'm saying. But, but as, Lyndon Byers, as Lyndon Byers used to say to me, I'd, I'd walk in the dressing room. Those back in the back in the first year. I'd walk in the dressing room in a double-breasted suit with the big 80s shoulders and the pals. I'd walk in, and LB would always go, man, you look good. And then he'd, then he'd wait for a second and he'd go, from the chin down. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, as always, so awesome talking to you again. Thank you so much for the time. And uh, hopefully we connect uh, in, a, in another 30 days or so with talking about a much better Sharks team that have turned, a, turned it all around. All right, AJ. Good talking to you again, too, Kyle. Talk to you later. <laughs> you got it. Take it easy.